This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another restful episode of True Scary Stories to Help You Fall Asleep. Today, we're going to be reading True Creepy Backwoods Horror Stories. I hope you enjoy them. Also, before we jump into the stories, I would like to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Treats. Treats is a subscription box service where they send you a monthly treats box filled with treats from different parts of the world. They want to help you explore the world through food. So Treats was gracious enough to send us over a treats box, and I'm going to go ahead and open it. I have not opened this yet. I always save these so that I can open them the first time on camera. Got it open. Oh, I'm terrible with flags, but I think this is Brazil. Let's go ahead and open up this. Yes, I was right. This is Brazil. So again, they send you little postcards and information about all of the treats that are in your box. Looks like we got a whole bunch of things in here this month. Let me try to move that to the side. So we got this. We got Vovozinija. <laughs> I'm terrible with names and pronunciations of things. But yeah, let's go ahead and let's pick us out something here to try. All right, y'all know me. Y'all know that I'm a chocolate person. So let's go ahead and try this. Looks like this is going to be chocolate. It says Bis Extra Original. Oh, they're little wafers. I tried to just break off a piece because they're perforated there. Mm. that is so good I always love everything that treats sends me they've never disappointed sending me delicious treats all the time if you want to get your own make sure that you go down in the description down below click on the link down there and use code interscaresleep at checkout to get 15% off your first box purchased at trytreats.com. And now, without further ado, lay back, relax, and enjoy these true scary stories. I'll try my best to recall this story that just popped into my memory randomly. This would have been in the late 90s in Connecticut. 
maybe about 1998. I was a teenager, and some of my friends had started getting driver's licenses. So we did what any teen in the 90s did, drive around with our friends looking for something to do in a small town. There were about five of us in a friend's car. I wasn't driving. I was on the passenger side in the back seat. We were riding around, listening to music, talking. No substances were used. We were on a wooded, windy road at night. Suddenly, the driver slammed on her brakes, and we watched as this creature crossed in front of us. Illuminated by the headlights, the creature was about toddler height, very, very pale, no clothing, bald, and very slender. It paused briefly to look at us. I remember we all got dead silent. It passed the road quickly and went into the woods. It walked on two legs. It was most certainly not an animal that I'd ever seen, especially since it was bipedal, and it definitely wasn't a kid. The only thing I can't recall is its face. I did see the creature, but from my side in the car, my view was slightly obstructed. We were all silent for a few moments, processing what we'd seen. I remember another passenger whispered, Dude, what the heck? We continued on in silence with the occasional, did you see that thing? We kept the radio off at that point, and the driver started bringing us all to our homes. We were so creeped out, we didn't feel like having fun anymore. One of our friends, nicknamed El Chalupa, so occasionally we'd bring it up. I've lost touch with all of them at this point. I'm in my 40s now, but we never did find out what we saw. This was before most of us even had home computers, let alone a cell phone or Google. Any idea? When I was young, probably under 10, I was on a horseback ride with my parents. We were all riding our own horses. My horse at the time was always the lead. We were going up a slight incline in some wooded trails. I remember feeling my horse stop as if she was startled. I looked to my right, and between the trees stood a male figure. I don't remember a lot, but he was green in appearance as if he was covered in moss. He had a white tight t-shirt on. He was rather muscular, but no larger than the average man. It has stopped mid-stride and stared back at me. I looked back to see my parents and if they were seeing what I was seeing. And when I looked back, it was gone. To this day, it still gives me the chills. I always wanted to know the significance. This happened around 2012 or 2013. Me and my friend, ages 13 and 14 respectively, were out exploring a patch of woods at the edge of my hometown in northern Minnesota. We went in a bit deeper than we usually did and spotted a well-built tarp shelter. Being the tactical tweens we were, we snuck up to it from different sides with a BB gun and a knife and called out, to which there was no reply. 
We went inside and found some clean tin cookware and utensils on a little handmade counter slash shelf. We came back the next day and the shelter was destroyed. The tarps cut up and there were stab marks in the cookware. I still wonder to this day whose shelter it was and why it was destroyed like that. I'm a former Brazilian Marine, eight years of active duty, and I'd like to report a well-known story among the Marines about the disappearance of a sergeant on an island where we usually conduct military training once a year, known as Ilha da Marambia. The Ilha of Marambaya, Marambaya Island, is an island that during the time when Brazil was still an empire, was refuge of slaves who fled the farms and gathered in communities in the most isolated parts of the island. These people are known as Quilambolas, and to this day, they still survive on the island through hunting and fishing. At one of these military trainings that takes place every year, a newly graduated sergeant, I don't know his name, but let's call him Ricardo to make it easier to tell the story, made friends with one of the Quilambalas who lived there in the region, which is very rare to happen, as we are advised to avoid any contact with them as they are known to be hostile to the military man. During some conversations with the Quilambola, he told Sergeant Ricardo about an ancient story of an old treasure hidden inside a cave in one of the isolated areas of the island. This old treasure that was hidden there by a group of thieves who shipwrecked on the island many years ago, during the time when Brazil was still an empire. However, he told Sergeant Ricardo that he should not enter the cave because any Quilombola that had already entered into it never returned again, so it was known to be inhabited by a spirit who protected the treasure from outsiders. Ricardo was skeptical and did not believe much in spirits so he asked for the Quilambala to show him where the cave was. The same refused to show the cave entrance, because he said that it was very dangerous. Ricardo then did not insist, and decided to forget that story and just focus on the military training. Years passed, and Ricardo never forgot the story of the treasure on the island, and he was thinking about how his life would be changed if he managed to find that treasure. The life of a marine in Brazil was very rough, and the salary was very low, so he dreamed of getting out of the Marine Corps and starting his own business, and that treasure could help him with that. So he decided that the next time that he went to attend a military training on the Marambaya Island, he would insist that the Quilambala show him where the cave entrance is, even if for that he had to offer him money to show him the way. So after a few months, Sergeant Ricardo became aware that he would be chosen to be part of the next training on the island. So that would be his chance to change his life. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. 
You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And he would not let that escape. Arriving on the island, he attended the usual training drills and waited until the day off which was one of the days when there would be no training and he would have more time to explore the cave. He waited for Don to go to the Quilambala's place without anyone from his squad seeing him since the exploration of the island by the military was prohibited by the officers as there have been cases of military disappearing in previous training. And then he asked one of the Quilambala's to show him the way to the cave. Before he went to the Quilambala, Ricardo invited a close friend to go with him to help him find the treasure. This close friend is the person who spread the story that you are reading and said that if they found the treasure, he would share the treasure with him. The sergeant's friend refused to go because he said it was very dangerous and advised him to not go there either. He ignored his friend's advice and decided to go there anyway. After finding one of the Quilambalas, and insisting that it showed him the way. He agreed and took Ricardo to the entrance of the cave, where the sergeant entered in search of the treasure that could change his life. The next day, the sergeant's friend noticed that he had not returned from his search in the cave and told the officers what had happened. Search teams were requested, and it took about a week to find the entrance to the cave where the sergeant entered. After conducting searches inside the cave, they found the Sergeant Ricardo's dead body. Probably he was lost inside and could not find the exit or was bit by a snake. Heavy rain on that island is very common and normally snakes take refuge inside of the caves. It's said that the Marine Corps compensated the Sergeant's family and hid the case from the public so that it did not appear in the newspapers. I don't know if that really happened or not but it's a very common story in the Marine Corps that is often told by older Marines. It's said that this story happened in the early 1990s, so I think at the time it was not very difficult to hide this kind of story from the media. This happened last night, and I'm still pretty freaked out. We're up at my father-in-law's for Christmas. He lives in South Jersey, in a pretty remote area just north of Burn State Forest. It's quiet, and always a little eerie, but felt especially weird with the overcast weather and unseasonable warmth of the last few days. We did Christmas dinner at my brother-in-law's and got back pretty late. Because of the radiator heat and outside temps, we slept with the window open. I woke up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and as I was drifting back to sleep, I heard a low wail, building in volume for a few seconds before stopping abruptly. I figured it was just an odd-sounding bird and tried to go back to sleep. 
It happened twice more over the course of maybe five minutes. I was basically able to put it out of my head and start drifting back to sleep when I heard a loud, shrill blast, like a too high elephant's trumpet. At that point, I shot up, heart racing. I knew I had to close the window and took a beat to build up to it. When I dragged myself out of bed, I peeked through the shutters before I reached to shut the pane. Whatever it was had tripped the motion sensor light at the back of the property and was half illuminated, standing maybe a hundred feet from the back door, right at the tree line. It was cloaked, with its head partially shrouded. The bottom of its face looked flat and round like the back of a dinner plate, with another smaller, half-uncovered black circle at its center. I immediately slammed the window shut and it didn't move, just stood there with its face tilted towards the window. I shut the blinds and crept into bed, and basically hid until the sun came up. I didn't hear any more sounds. I dared another look out the window after dawn, and the figure was gone, and I managed to drift back to sleep for a few hours. Has anyone seen anything like this, or know what it might be? I'm frantically googling, but nothing is really coming up. So to give you a little bit of background information on this story, which is 100% true, I would like to start with the fact that I am European. I posted another story a couple of months back about something that happened to me in Tuscany, Italy. As for me and my friends in this story, we are from Spain. And when this happened at the end of September of 2023, we were fairly new to the USA. I moved here a while back for law school, and so did my friends. We had been living there for a few months and decided to explore the nature of this beautiful continent as we all live in New York City. So, long story short, we decided to go on a road trip to Canada, drive around Lake Ontario and then drive back to New York City through upstate New York. I'm a male and my friends were three females. For the sake of anonymity, let's call them Lisa, Anne and Charlotte. Everything went super smooth until last night. So for our last night, we had rented an off-grid cabin in a remote area in the woods in upstate New York. To give some locals an idea, we were like half an hour drive from Harrisburg, I think. Me and Lisa had decided to spend one night in this cabin because it was one with nature. The cabin was super old, made from log wood, and there was no running water or electricity. Both me and Lisa had experience with survival in the wild in Europe. I, for myself, had been a Boy Scout my whole life, and even was a scout leader for a while. Our other two friends were, as much as I loved them, purebred city girls. They had pretty much zero experience with camping, or to just be in a place where there is no service for the phones, as was the case in this cabin. We had been driving all day to get there, and when we reached the beginning of the forest, it was already past 10 p.m., and it was really dark that night. While driving to this place, we lost internet connection with the GPS, so I had to drive to the cabin on intuition, paired with a good old-fashioned map, hoping for the best, while trying to drive safe on these muddy trails. 
It was also rainy the whole day. On the way there, Anna and Charlotte were in the back of the car, and the moment they lost phone service, they got pretty uneasy for the rest of the ride. All of a sudden, in the pitch black darkness of the forest, we all saw a campfire, but there were no houses around or people, just a campfire, a well-organized one since the fire was not spreading and it was not as big as a bonfire. It kind of startled all of us, as this was a little bit weird, since there was no one around and we were really deep in the forest already. Plus, it was getting very late. When this happened, we also reached the end of the trail, and we figured we had taken the wrong trail at a crossroads before. So I turned around and we were on our way again. Half an hour later, and a couple of wrong trails later, we finally had arrived at our destination as we could finally see the first glimpse of this godforsaken cabin in the middle of nowhere. To give you an idea of how old it was, the outhouse was made of wood and was outside of the cabin. When we arrived, it was still raining and both Anne and Lisa were definitely not in the mood for getting out of the car and getting in the cabin with zero lights. So me and Lisa left the lights on at the car and we went inside the cabin while also using our phone flashlights to check the cabin out and see if we could find any old flashlights, which we did, and to see if we could turn on the fireplace, which we didn't, because all of the wood was still wet from the rain, and it seemed that no one had prepared dry wood anywhere. So with a couple of old flashlights and a small improvised fire that I managed to make in the stove, we all four got in the cabin and started to make some pasta for ourselves. Meanwhile, the girls were preparing the beds and closing the windows since it was already cold in this part of the state. The cabin had a small ladder which led to an elevated room slash space with a bed where all three of the girls could fit in and I would sleep downstairs in a bunk bed that seemed older than the First World War. While making pasta, Anna, one of the city girls, came up to me and knowing that both Lisa and Charlotte did not like to hear anything scary at night, told me that she had seen an old cemetery in the middle of the forest on the way to our cabin, and that she had seen a figure walk around there. I first laugh it off as nothing. As I mentioned in my previous story, I do not consider myself a big believer of scary stuff. Being from Spain, we take promises very seriously. To swear to God is very serious for us and she swore to God that she was not lying. I told her then that I believed her, but that there was no need to panic, as I would lock all the doors when we would go to sleep. We had some pasta, managed to make a couple of s'mores, which were lovely, by the way, and drank a couple of beers, or at least I did. They all had just one. I can assure you that I am not drunk after just a couple of beers, and that I would never start to hallucinate. Just saying that, in case anyone thinks that I saw stuff because of the beer. They all three went to sleep pretty early after finishing the s'mores and their beer, and I, considering that I really love the outdoors, and that I don't really mind a little bit of rain, decided to take my last beer and a flashlight outside to the front porch, also very old and made of wood, and sat myself down with my beer, while enjoying the sound of the rain and the lovely sight of not seeing a single light in the distance. I could greatly appreciate this coming from New York City, 
and I just scanned the area around with my flashlight. There was nothing much really to see, besides a lot of trees and a small creek a little bit further away. All I could hear was the wind, the rain, and the running water down in the creek. That was until I suddenly heard what I would describe as a weird roar. The first thing that came to my mind was a bear, but I had researched well before our trip, and I knew that bears were not common at all in this part of the state. I also know what a bear roar would sound like, and it did not resemble it a lot, except from the fact that it was a deep war, if you get what I mean. Startled but not really scared, I continued to scan the rest of the forest for as far as I could see from the porch. It was then when my eyes caught the glimpse of a figure, well hidden deep into a tree line. I would describe the figure as tall. For a reference, I'm six foot four, and I thought that this thing was at least a foot or two higher than me. It was well hidden because with its brown fur, that is what I think it was at least, or the skin in any case, blended in well with the trees in autumn. It was definitely aware of our presence, as I saw two eyes glimpsing into my flashlight. I could not tell you what it was, but I swear to God that it was not a bear. It was bipedal, and had rather long arms, I would say. We looked at each other for what seemed like an eternity, but in reality it was more like five seconds before it vanished behind a tree, and I heard another roar. It was then when I felt all the hair stand up, and I was definitely very much scared. I went inside as quick as I could and locked all the doors and closed all the curtains. I quickly went to bed and tried to wave it off as just my exhaustion of driving all day playing tricks on my mind. But I promise you, this was very real. After an hour or so, I had calmed down and finally fell asleep. The rest of the night was uneventful, and the next morning when I went to relieve myself after having drank beer the night before... The weather had cleared and it was rather sunny, and as far as I could see, the forest was calm and beautiful. No sight of any animals or anything abnormal. We had a nice breakfast that morning and left for our way back to the city that never sleeps. And so also ends my story of that night. I never talked about what I saw that night because I know all three girls did not like to hear scary stories. And I figured after these months that this was the best place to share it. If anyone has an idea of what it could have been, please feel free to enlighten me, especially if it is backed up with rational reasoning. Hi everyone, I've debated posting this for a long time, but never got around to it, mainly because I try to keep calm and keep this memory out of my brain. This might be a long one, but this is a creepy thing that happened to me about four years ago. For starters, I grew up in southwest Saskatchewan and moved onto my aunt's farm in 2019 to live in the other house that is on their property. The house is fairly old but I loved it. It wasn't long after I moved in, though, that I started to feel uneasy in the house alone. I would close every window when it got dark, as it felt like something was watching me through them every night. 
Eventually, I decided to get a puppy to keep myself company when my boyfriend at the time was at work or away from the house. It helped to have the company, but I always dreaded having to take her outside when it was dark. For a bit of scene setting, our house sat on the left side of the gravel road. At the back of the house, there was about 10 meters of backyard, and then there was a cow pasture in the cow barn. We didn't own cows, but in the summer, another farmer would rent our pasture space, and we would have them on the property. It wasn't uncommon at night to hear coyotes surround the farm either, and there were tons. Every so often when I'd go out with my puppy, we'd hear them all around us, too close for comfort. We had a farm dog too, who would keep the coyotes away for the most part, as she was huge. But every so often, she'd wander elsewhere on the property to scout, and the coyotes would get a little too close for comfort. They always tried to lure my puppy out to them, but luckily I kept her leashed. Now, one thing you should know about my pup is that it takes her forever to find a spot to go potty. This is still a problem today four years later, but back then, it was the bane of my existence. She would pace for at least five minutes, and that was only after finding a suitable spot. Sometimes we would be out there for almost a half an hour, just so that she would go and not go in the house. Another problem of hers. Huskies, am I right? On this particular night, it was raining pretty heavily. I was not happy to be out there, and she had decided that she wasn't going to go until she found her perfect spot. We had already been out there for 15 minutes, and at this point she was also getting frustrated with the rain and wanted to go inside. But I wanted her to go before we went in, since we'd already been out there for so long. So, as any annoyed puppy mother would do, I started getting a little frustrated and would repeat, Go. Go potty. Every time she'd get distracted from her objective. It was dark. I was cold and annoyed. And to make matters worse, the cows behind us were fussing fairly loudly. This was out of the ordinary for them. They were usually quiet and sleeping at this time of night. I was also hearing what sounded like a strange bird whistling, but shook it off as probably being an owl. I tried to keep it off my mind as I kept shouting and pleading go through the rain to my small, fuzzy, white dog. I was facing away from the pasture, and suddenly, in my left ear, I heard it. Go. Now, one thing you should know about me is I have a very strong flight response typically, but this froze me on the spot, as I was mostly confused at what the heck I had just heard. I tried telling myself that I didn't hear it. I tried telling myself that it was just a move from a cow that I had heard wrong. But again, as if spoken directly behind me, I heard it again. Go. Go. It sounded unnatural. It was as if it came from someone who had never spoken a word before. A raspy, deep, monotone. Go. It almost sounded like it was coming out of an old radio. But of course, there were no radios out there. Every time it said it, it sounded the exact same as the first time it was said. And whatever it was had started repeating it 
as if it had been taught its new favorite word. At this point, I spun around to the pasture to find nothing there. Then again from behind me, go. This had all happened in the span of about three seconds. And at this point, I remember shouting out loud, all right, don't have to tell me twice, as I picked up my little furball and made a mad dash for my front door. I swiftly locked both doors behind me and sat bewildered in my kitchen. The puppy went back to puppying immediately, obviously unbothered by it all, and happy mom wasn't making her stay out in the rain any longer. I picked up my phone and called my aunt, asking her if my uncle had been out in the field with the cows. She said no, and I explained to her what had just happened to me. She sent my uncle over to the pasture to check it out, but soon after told me that he hadn't seen or heard anything. He said he'd check the pasture again in the morning. I spent my night hiding from the windows, with the lights and TV on loud enough to not hear anything outside. The next morning, when my uncle checked the pasture, he found two calves dead. Explains the colossal cow panic that had ensued the night before. I regret this, but I didn't push for more information, as I honestly just didn't want to know. But they told me other than that, they didn't find anything out of the ordinary. A few months later, I moved off the farm. I couldn't be in that house alone anymore, and my boyfriend and I had parted ways. A few months after that, I started to go to therapy for the paranoia that this had caused me. I started feeling like people were watching me, out to get me. Another few months after that, I moved out of the province for good and finally felt safe. I'm wondering if any of you here have any idea what the heck this could have been. There's no chance there would have been someone in our field, as we were fairly far away from town and neighbors and we have cameras that would have seen anyone enter our property. Coyotes are common, but I don't think that they are capable of mimicking words. Any ideas? In many rural areas of the American West, Cutting firewood in national forests is a necessary chore if you want a warm house through the winter. Our home in mountainous central Idaho was no exception. It was normal for my dad to pick me and my brothers up after school and head into the mountains for an afternoon of firewood gathering. My dad would fell the dead trees, then saw them into chunks. My brothers and I had the task of rolling the wood to the truck and loading it. We would continue this assembly line process until we had a truckload of wood, usually before nightfall. Hot, sweaty, and exhausted, we would pile into the truck cab and make our way down the mountain. At home the next day, we would unload and split the wood and stack it into neat little rows. This process was repeated until we had a winter's worth of fuel for our house, our grandma's cabin, and any extra for elderly neighbors. This particular afternoon, we decided to try a different logging road on the other side of the valley. This was well outside our familiar logging area. No real reason for the change, but my dad said he wanted a change of scenery. This logging road hadn't been maintenanced in some time. Large rocks and fallen branches littered the path. My brothers and I had to walk out in front, 
pushing rocks and wood out of the way as my dad lurched the truck up the switchbacks. Yard by yard, we slowly made our way up the mountain. That hike was physically brutal. As we ascended the mountain and got farther into TBE trees, this odd feeling started to set in. I wasn't sure if it was the exhaustion from the hike or something more. There was electricity in the air, like the whole mountain was buzzing at a wavelength just below my senses. In some odd way, it felt like the mountain knew we were there, and it wasn't welcome to that fact. I wanted to say something to my brothers, but before I opened my mouth, my younger brother said, Does anyone else feel like we're not welcome here? My older brother and I stopped in our tracks and looked back at him. Both of us nodded in agreement. This moment was broken by my dad honking and motioning us to continue clearing the path. Reluctantly, we pushed forward to a small clearing in the woods, where we finally stopped the truck. My dad, oblivious to our apprehension, or simply choosing to ignore it, grabbed his saw and went to work. As the wood was felled and loaded, I couldn't shake this ominous feeling enveloping me like a dark shroud. I noticed my brothers were taking occasional glances over their shoulders as we worked. Everyone but my dad, it seemed, was on edge. The sun nestled down into the trees and twilight began to set in. As the light drained from the sky, my anxiety only intensified. It wasn't until my dad unexpectedly told us to load up that a wave of relief flooded over me. I could see the tension in my brothers melt away as well. The truck wasn't fully loaded, an oddity. Getting a half load was a waste, according to my dad. We would sometimes work into the dark just to make sure the truck was full. But tonight, he seemed eager to head home. With everything loaded, we started down the road. Although dead tired, everyone seemed to be in a much lighter mood. We were chatting and cracking jokes while trying to blow off steam from the afternoon. We were almost out of the tree line and into the valley desert. Going down the switchbacks, you want to be careful, especially with a load, even if it was half that. A brown blur jumped up from the downslope side of the switchback. Shit was the only word that came out of my dad's mouth as he slammed on the brakes. Loaded with wood and traveling downhill, there was no way to avoid smashing into the blur. The truck finally ground to a standstill. The four of us peered through the windshield, nobody saying a word. Illuminated in the yellow glow of our headlights was a crumpled body of deer. Grumbling and cursing the deer's existence, my dad exited the truck to investigate. Doing as they were told, my brothers stayed put in the truck. I didn't listen, following close behind my dad. The truck was fine. We hadn't been traveling fast when we smacked the deer just some hair and blood in the grill guard. Hitting a deer really wasn't that unusual. The mountains were full of them. What was unusual was that the deer dropped so quickly. At faster speeds, deer could still be upright and sprinting away to die in the woods after a collision. That last burst of an adrenaline dump. This one fell over like a rag doll. Before even approaching the carcass, a deep, foul smell hit us. Deer smell bad when they're alive but this was on a whole other level. It was the smell of decay and rot. My stomach began to turn as we got closer. My nostrils were burning. Coming up on the deer, it was clearly dead. Really, really dead. The stench was so overwhelming my eyes were watering. 
the body was a true horror scene. The deer's eyes were gone, replaced with sunken hollow hole. As if to overcompensate for their absence, the tunge was swollen and black as coal. It could not be contained and hung out the side of its mouth. The underbelly was split open. Entrails and offal spilled into the dirt. In the dim headlights, it looked as though the deer's fur and viscera were moving, wiggling almost. Holding my breath, I bent down for a closer look, and my heart stopped. The deer, inside and out, was covered in maggots. It was dead all right, but our truck didn't kill it. Clearly, it had been dead for days, if not weeks. I backed away, retching. That electric anxiety came screaming back. My dad was always the quiet, stoic type. But right now, even in the dim headlights of the truck, I could see the abject horror in his face. His gaze wasn't on the deer, but focused down the mountain. Poorly masking the fear in his voice, he told me firmly to walk back to the truck and get inside. I obeyed without objection. As I grabbed the door handle, a loud shriek came out of the trees. Branches were shattering and breaking. Something was heading up the slope towards us. I slammed my door closed just as my dad reached the truck. Before his door was shut, he pressed on the accelerator. The truck launched forward, sending us over the deer carcass and racing downhill. With mine and my brothers yelling, it was hard to tell if the shrieking was following us. Our truck popped out of the tree line and into the desert sagebrush. Once out of the woods, everything quieted down. We were left with only the rumble of the engine and wind through the half-opened windows. Pulling into our property, the truck came to a stop. We sat in silence. No one moved to leave the truck. Everyone started talking at once. We all had questions. What was the screaming? How does a dead deer jump uphill in front of a truck? There was no way the truck killed it. Dad just shook his head and motioned for us to quiet down. That deer was dead when we hit it. It didn't jump out in front of us. It was thrown at us. We stared at him. Ah. He explained that all day up on the mountain he had felt uneasy. Not wanting to worry us boys, he kept it to himself. He described it like walking into a stranger's living room while they were upstairs asleep. That feeling never left him. And as twilight came, he happened to catch a shadow in the corner of his eye. Not far into the woods and saw figures moving from tree to tree. He couldn't focus on them long enough for a good look before they dodged behind trees. His stomach dropped. Working hard to keep his composure, he hurried us to the truck to leave. It was after hitting the deer and discovering it was long dead that my dad pieced together what was happening. Something threw that deer to get us to stop. Before the shrieking began, he could hear something moving in the darkness beyond the road. It was a trap. Running back to the truck could have started an ambush or triggered a prey drive, so we walked back to the truck. The second we were inside, he drove that truck downhill with no intention of stopping for anyone or anything. That feeling of electricity didn't disappear until we hit the county highway. My brothers and I never saw anything as we drove away, but those screams from the forest will never leave my mind. We didn't gather firewood the rest of the season. For the first time in his life, my dad just bought what we needed. And although we started to gather wood again the next season, we've never been back up that particular mountain. The Forest Service has permanently closed and reclaimed that road. 
The only way back up into those woods is a long hike, one I'm not interested in ever taking again. Whatever was on that mountain, whatever threw that deer carcass, whatever chased us out of the woods, it did not want us there. It wanted us gone. Or worse, it wanted us dead. This story happened just this summer. I'm only now getting around to writing it down. I would consider myself an outdoorsman. I grew up in the sticks. I've spent a lot of my life wandering in and enjoying the backcountry. I'm older now and have settled down in the suburbs. Wife, two boys, a house, a dog, a desk job, the whole suburban shtick. I want opportunities for my kids that come from suburban life but I also want them to grow up with an appreciation for the outdoors. So when my oldest son was big enough for his first solo father-son camping trip, I was excited. My wife and younger son stayed home for this midsummer trip. It was going to be a great bonding experience for me and my son. Because my son is just five, I didn't want to do anything too extreme on our first big solo camping trip. We needed a place that wasn't too deep into the Colorado Front Range but still allowed for dispersed camping. I don't consider camping in RV parks or established campgrounds to be actual camping. You might as well be at a motel watching TV. Camping at most is a tent, sleeping bag, and a fire. A dispersed camping area called Gordon Gulch, west of Boulder, caught my attention. I had never been to this area before. There were no facilities and it was dispersed enough you couldn't see or hear other campers nearby. My son and I had a blast that day. We set up camp, collected firewood, went for a hike, saw a moose and a bobcat, tried a little fishing, and finally, as the sunlight faded, we returned to our campsite to light a fire. We had a traditional and nutritious camping meal of fire-burned hot dogs and marshmallows. It was a good day. Definitely a core memory for both my son and me. The perfect first camping experience for a preschooler. Or so I thought. After all that fun, my son and I were exhausted. It was time for bed. The sound of an evening summer breeze through the pines is better than any commercial sleep aid. I don't even remember drifting off. It was a hard, dreamless sleep that only physical exertion can bring. One thing about my son, he inherited many things from me, hair color, eye shape, disposition, and my unusually wide feet. But one peculiar thing he got from his mother was sleep talking. It's not unusual to hear him having full conversations in his sleep. It gets more pronounced when he's overly tired. I was catapulted out of the void of sleep. Not sure what aroused me, I sat up collecting myself. The world seemed to be at peace. It was quiet. Just me and the breeze through the treetops. I couldn't figure out what woke me so suddenly. The sound of my son laughing in his sleep cut through my groggy confusion. It was a deep belly laugh. Must be a fun dream, I thought hazily. Gently rocking him was enough to quiet him down. That must have been what startled me, I determined. As I repositioned to fall back to sleep, my son burst out laughing. I sighed and closed my eyes. 
He'll quiet down soon enough, I thought. He laughed again. This time, his laugh was echoed by something outside our tent. I held my breath and listened, unsure of what I just heard. It wasn't an echo. There was something out there, and it was laughing in unison with my son. My grogginess vanished as the adrenaline began to pump. It couldn't be real. It had to be my imagination. I sat up in my sleeping bag listening to the night. Hearing nothing after a minute, my muscles relaxed. I started to settle back down. Must have been hearing things. I was tired after all. Checking the time I saw it was four in the morning. The sun would be up in a couple hours. My son laughed again. And again, it was answered with laughter outside. I was now absolutely certain it was not an echo. As I tried to make sense of what was happening, the voice outside called out my son's name. My blood ran cold. That voice. It was so familiar. Then it clicked in my brain. It was the voice of my younger son. That wasn't at all possible. He was safe at home with my wife, miles and miles away. I could hear twigs crunching beyond our thin nylon tent walls. It was impossible to tell the distance from us. But there was something out there, circling us. Unprompted this time, it called out my son's name in that little toddler voice. My five-year-old, still fast asleep, called out to his brother, asking him to play. The thing outside the tent laughed in reply and urged my son to come outside. That thing with my little son's voice sounded cold, hollow, dead. The floodgates of my adrenaline burst open. Cold sweat formed on my face. I was frightened out of my mind, but my primal caveman brain roared to life. I was in Papa Bear mode. Nothing was going to take or hurt my son. I was putting a stop to this. Whatever it was out there, I didn't care. You don't mess with my kids. Say what you will. But when you're camping miles from anything, it's not worth the risk of being unarmed. Wild animals, wild people, you have to be prepared. I almost always take a firearm with me when I'm camping. Pepper spray and bear bells are great, but nothing gets attention from a conscious threat faster than the sound of chambering around. I spoke loudly into the night that I had a gun and was coming out. I hoped the fear in my voice was masked by my aggressiveness. The only reply was the breeze through the treetops. My son was still asleep. Kid's a hard sleeper. Another trait from his mom. My wife and I have joked that he could sleep through a tornado. Stepping out into the cool summer night, a gun in one hand and a flashlight in the other, I surveyed the campsite. The fire was down to embers. Our fishing gear was leaning against the pickup. The firewood was still neatly stacked. Nothing seemed out of place. Not wanting to stray far from the tent or my sleeping son, I sat down outside the entrance. I waited in the dark with the flashlight off. Not far into the trees, I heard a branch break. Then another snapped, this time closer. I stood up and flashed my light in the direction of the sound. Nothing was there. The voice called out, this time from behind, and this time focused towards me. Daddy, Daddy. It was my youngest son's voice again, crying out for me from the dark forest. I threw the light beam in that direction. A pair of shimmering green eyes were illuminated by my flashlight. They were only two or so feet above the ground, the same height as a toddler. I took a small step toward it, 
I wanted to see more. I needed to see more. The eyes, unblinking, remained in place. Getting closer didn't help reveal this thing. It seemed to absorb the light from my flashlight, almost devouring it. I couldn't make out its size or shape or color. It seemed to swallow up all the light around it, save for its two shimmering green eyes. That thing laughed in its hollow toddler's voice, this time with malice and cruelty in it. The eyes never looked away from me, never blinking, focused only on me, like a predator before the pounce. Not wanting to give up any ground to a predator, I stepped forward again. It didn't move. Not knowing what to do, I screamed as loud as I could. I waved my arms, trying futilely to shoo it away. The eyes shimmered. And as I stared back, the eyes shifted from green to amber. I watched as they began to rise up into the air. It was now apparent to me this thing had been crouching and was now standing up. I could only watch in silent terror as the eyes finally stopped rising, nearly ten feet off the ground. The night air erupted with a deep growl. I could feel the vibrations in my guts. I couldn't see a mouth, but I could hear teeth snapping and gnashing. My son in the tent behind me began to scream. That was the only time the eyes lost focus on me and shifted towards the screams of my kid. My only reaction was to fire my gun into the air. The eyes immediately vanished. My ears were ringing, but I could hear the growls turn to shrieks, followed by a cacophony of crashing branches and undergrowth. I stood there until I couldn't hear the shrieking anymore. It trailed off deep into the trees. I was left with only the sound of the breeze in the treetops and the quiet sobbing of my child. Twilight was beginning to illuminate the forest. Shaking and exhausted, I sat down in the dirt in front of the tent I tried to collect myself. Daddy, Daddy, where are you? My five-year-old shouted. That got me out of my daze. I picked myself up and went into the tent to retrieve him. Putting him in the truck, I locked the doors and wasted little time breaking down camp. We were out of that camp and back on the road by the time the sun broke over the horizon. I have no idea what is in those woods. I do plan to camp in that area again, albeit without my family, and definitely with some friends. I want to find out more about this thing. Thankfully, my son doesn't seem phased by anything that happened that night. He thinks I was chasing a bear away from camp. And maybe he's right. I hope he is anyway. My son can't wait to go on another camping trip. But, truthfully, I'm thinking the next family camping trip might be at an RV park, or even a motel. That's family camping, right? I just found this subreddit and thought, finally, a place to tell my story. This happened when I was much younger, so details may be a little bit shoddy. But honestly, I remember it like it was yesterday. I live in Australia, and we don't have much woodlands here besides a few that span on for a couple of hundred acres or so. Nothing like what the Americans have. And when I was younger, I'd get lost in these woods a lot, and sometimes even sleep in them for a couple of days, at most, surviving off of fish and creek water. I never had any creepy encounters besides this one time, 
I was about 10 years old, and just like I do at least once every two to three years, I had gotten lost in the woods again. I was completely fine during the day, as I had eaten an hour prior to realizing that I had no idea where I was. So I had the old, ah crap, here we go moment, and decided to walk around to find some sticks to make a little fire. I knew a lot about outdoor survival, as my family went camping a lot, and I watched videos on YouTube all the time, since it interested me and I loved the woods. I had set a fire up as it started getting dark, and was about to put out my fire before I saw a small deer on a tree line, just nearly out of range of my fire's light. It was staring at me, which gave me the chills, but I just went, ah, a little deer, and I waved to it. The deer scurried off into a bush behind it, and I couldn't see it anymore. Then I heard this really weird noise, like twigs snapping, and all of a sudden, a much larger deer came out of the same brush that I just saw the small one jump into. At this point, I knew that something was off, so I stood up and stared at the deer as it stared back at me, and I was mentally preparing myself for the idea that this thing could run at me. I was a little kid. What am I supposed to think? The deer started walking a bit towards me, and I backed up a little and crouched down. But as the deer just kept getting closer, and I kept backing up, I looked down and realized that this thing had a hook directly in the fire and wasn't reacting to it at all. This creeped me out. I mean, his fur was burning, and it was starting to burn its skin, but it just wasn't reacting. I immediately set off bolting, but I heard it coming behind me. Not really running, but fast enough to keep up with my little legs. I came over this small hill and jumped down into a bush to try to hide from it. And that's when it happened. The scariest thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I remember it so vividly. The deer's silhouette against the moonlight appeared. And as I stared at the deer, it let out this blood-curdling call that I've never heard from another animal before. And all of a sudden, the silhouette started caving in on itself. I could hear its bones snapping and flesh ripping, and this thing just kept getting smaller. Then suddenly it got much bigger, and I closed my eyes because I just couldn't watch anymore. When I opened them, there was a man standing there, where the deer stood, or at least the silhouette of a man. He was looking around, then started calling out in this creepy, almost distorted voice. Hello? Hello? And he repeated this for about 10 minutes while I just sat there in silence, refusing to answer whatever the heck just stood a couple of meters above me. The man then just walked off into the trees and I heard that same awful snapping noise before it eventually faded away. I didn't sleep that night. I stayed in that bush the rest of the night terrified that this thing could still be lurking around the area, just waiting for me to appear again. Once the morning came, I walked in a straight line until I reached a road that I recognized, and then I ran home. I didn't tell my family about it, as I feared that I wouldn't be taken seriously, but I was terrified. I haven't been into the woods since that day, and always stayed home when my family went camping, after begging them not to go. I'm 21 now. That incident was 10 to 11 years ago, 
and I still remember that silhouette and the noise of the bones snapping. I've done tons of research, and my only conclusion to what happened is that I narrowly escaped a skinwalker. I'm tearing up from fear as I write all of this, remembering that horrific night. I hope you all enjoyed my retelling, and if anyone has any other explanation on what this could have been, please tell me. Thank you so much for listening to all of the stories in this video. I hope you enjoyed them. I also hope that you enjoy the extra rain at the end. Get a good night's sleep, everyone. And I'll read to you in the next video. Bye-bye now.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.